This is the ancient Texan uh, talking about global warming. And I just had a realization over the last oh, month or so, but in particular last night, that my concerns and doubts about our current energy policies and actions are not centered around climate science. They're centered around the engineering that's required to do what climate activists are asking us to do. I've worked as an engineer for 56 years. I've been involved uh, as a lead process, lead technology guy on a billion dollar project. I've been the lead technical person on a dozen projects. And in fact, I'm not sure most of the time that I'm involved in a project, I'm the lead on the technical side. The process engineering kind of lays out the flow sheet, which takes all the unit operations and equipment and how they're going to interact with each other. Where's the energy supply coming from? Raw materials. What's going to be the output? Uh, what's And from that, they deduce the size of the plant. The, actual equipment and we're involved on selecting the equipment and setting specs for what it's supposed to do. So I have a pretty good idea what's involved in engineering a project. From a high level and a conceptual viewpoint, I kind of know what's possible and what's not possible. Now, sure, I'm sure there's people better, but we're not, as a country, as a world, addressing the engineering challenges of climate change in any kind of rational way that I can see. I think the politicians are setting, are doing the engineering. No big engineering company like Floor Daniel or S&C Lavalin or Bechtel, etc., has been hired to do an engineering study on what it takes to bring up the living standard to the rest of the world by giving them energy. What's the cost to give the world electricity? By different routes. I want you to look at some stuff and it it seems pretty obvious that we're going down a road that doesn't make much sense. Here's energy consumption and I believe this TOE is probably terajoules of energy um, but it's a relative scale so it doesn't matter all that much and per capita GDP 
in thousands of dollars. So if you make um, 5,000, let's call it $5,000 uh, a year, then you need one terajoule of energy. If you want to make $50,000 a year, then you need 15 terajoules, a factor of 15 increase to go up a factor of 10 in per capita. So that says you can probably do some things without having electricity or energy, but you're going to need energy to increase your standard of living. Notice African countries are at the bottom of this uh, plot and they use from 0.1 to 1 TOE. Advanced countries use from 5 to 20. So there's anywhere from five to 200 times more energy required if you're one of these poor countries like this poor guy on the very bottom of the chart here to move up to one of these top guys. Okay, let's move on. And over the last I believe this is over the last 55 years if you wanted to increase your per capita growth your GDP your living standard you had to increase your energy now there's a lot more scatter in this graph so there's a lot of factors uh, that are important to increasing your standard of living besides just energy that says that but it also says that, in general, you need more, increase your standard of living. In other words, to move to the right part of this graph, you need to move, to be in the upper half and increase your energy. There's not anybody, if you notice, so you want to be over here. And all these people have increased their energy. Now, there's some people like this person didn't increase their energy very much. And... They also didn't know. Uh, they increased their standard of living quite a bit without increasing their energy. So what, that's what we'd prefer to do. But a lot of these people increase the amount of energy they're using. All these people increase the amount of energy they're using with a very modest increase. in standard of living. Now there's three aspects of increasing your energy to increase your standard of living. Buildings. This plot just barely goes up so it says you have to spend more energy in buildings like your homes, your offices and stuff if you want to increase your prosperity. But it says you have to increase your energy consumption a lot in industry, manufacturing, plants, uh, places that make goods and services. 
You need energy there if you want to increase your standard of living. Duh. And you have to get to work. So your transportation costs are going to go up. Not real profound. It's basically if you want to increase your standard of living, you have to make stuff. You have to get to work. And in most cases, that making stuff uh, amounts to using more electricity. Pretty straightforward. Here's, I just thought, an interesting picture on what electric grids look like in some of the poor parts of the world. I don't know where this is from, but I've seen pictures of this uh, in India. You might notice it's a very appropriate picture over here. You can hardly see it, but there's a lady over on the right looking down into this mess, and a child is sitting on her lap. And I suspect she wants a better standard of living. So, what, you know, here's a plot that shows over the last 55 years, give or take a little bit, we've quadrupled our energy consumption in the world. Quadrupled. Mostly from oil, coal, natural gas. A little bit from nuclear and then all the other sources put together. Quite a bit of hydro. Hydro is kind of um, significant. It is the significant recyclable energy, but there's only so many dams that can be boarded up and there's other consequences to, you know, making a lot of dams too. Isn't that interesting? So, it took 50 years to quadruple, to raise roughly half the world out of poverty. So, to raise the other half of the world out of poverty, I'm guessing it's going to take another 50 years. And... The energy consumption uh, is going to have to double again. Hmm. That's a pretty big increase. And where is that energy going to come from? Here's a breakdown. It's the same plot. It's just done a little different way showing where energy has come from. Oil, coal, gas. The three big ones. Gas is the cleanest of those three. And then look down here on the bottom. Hydro's had a respectable climb. But if you look at the slope of these graphs, oil, coal, and gas, are increasing at a faster rate than hydro, nuclear, wind, solar, biofuels, and other renewables. 
So we're going to have to double this again. Where's it going to come from? Now, how long is it going to take? If we just do it the same way as we've done in the past, it's probably another 50 years. If, however, wind and solar are going to be your courses that you bet on, then not only do they have to increase by a whole truckload just to replace the current energy that's being used and produced with fossil fuels, but they have to replace it twice because you're going to double the amount of oil, coal, and gas. You're going to double the amount of energy you need. So first you have to, wind and solar have to, you know, go five times, ten times bigger, and then they have to go ten times bigger again. How long do you think that's going to take? Saying a hundred years, I think, is very optimistic. Basically, it's not going to happen. Now, the only horse in this race that uh, hasn't been groomed and, you know, gone out to the main track is nuclear. Nuclear is the one horse in this this. You know, the horses we've got that are still in the barn that haven't had a chance to race. Nuclear is the only horse in our in our stables that's got a chance to compete with gas, coal, and oil. You can put wind and solar in, but it's intermittent, so it means you have to have a base source to cover, you know, ups and downs. You can engineer some of that away with, with storage, but not on the kind of stage where you can actually have, there was 10 days in Germany, for instance, last year, where they had just like Zippo solar and wind. It was cloudy and no wind. Uh, you need a base source to keep going. So they've gone back to coal because they shut down their nuclear. So you need a base source. And if you're going to go more with wind and solar, you also need to probably double your grid because it, solar and wind typically don't. They have to have a uh, bigger and more robust grid to, to handle all the ups and downs with wind and solar and kick on backup supplies. It's just a much more complicated. And you can do this when it's, you know, 10% of your energy needs. Uh, but when it's 100%, we haven't proven we could do that. And the amount of um, batteries you'd require, bit better get prepared to dig up half the world for lithium. Anyway, all right increase lithium production and refining by many orders of magnitude. So I don't I don't see how you can look at this chart and not realize that 
we're not flipping these curves around in the kind of time frame this 2035 stuff that we're talking about in 2030 2050 stuff that we're going to do it's just not going to happen the engineering to make that happen and the money to do that engineering i don't believe is possible do i hear somebody like floor daniel or bechtel or somebody coming out with an energy plan that forecasts the amount of money and the kind of time frame first even if you have the money it's not just about money uh, it just physically um, physical things have to be moved you have to we've talked about it before you got to double the amount of uh, copper nickel cobalt uh manganese whatever look back at the prior talks that's not easy to do it's not real that easy to do to build all these power plants and to put in in all these grids and to find the money to do it all and to do the engineering it's just keeping what's going here going is one level of effort it's a order of magnitude 10 times the effort to make these bottom graphs suddenly shoot up and catch up with the top graphs if you look at this over the last 55 years the gap between the bottom and the top is increasing and even with the emphasis over the last you know five or six years those slopes for solar and wind are maybe matching. They're not making any ground up on the top ones. Those lines at the bottom have to shoot straight up. That's just not going to happen. So here's a plot on a human development. index versus electricity use up here at the top we have us and canada canada actually uses more energy than us i think part of that is they've got a lot of cheap hydro um, they use pushing sixteen thousand kilowatt hours per year U.S. maybe 13,000 kilowatt hours per year. I personally use quite a bit more than that. Now, there's some countries like Spain. It's managed to have a pretty good standard of living in Jan Japan. So, uh, I suspect their houses are typically smaller their environmental footprint smaller, they drive smaller cars. So there's room for us to, you know, squeeze on down there to the left. But if you're Ethiopia at what looks like 0.1 kilowatt hours per year, you're not getting to our standard of living without getting up to maybe 5,000. kilowatt hours per year to get 
half the world, which is still poor up to where we are, you have to double the amount of energy we're using. And for residential use and standard of living, you know, what makes your life easy, having a washing machine and a dishwasher and TV and electric toothbrush. You need electricity. How's the easiest way to get electricity? Coal, natural gas. That's just the way it is. Now, can we try to increase solar And when? Yes. We'll also look on a net, another broadcast, what that does with land use, going to solar and wind versus fossil fuels. And that makes you think it might be impossible too, but we'll save that for another time. So, I conclude that the drive toward prosperity is a much more powerful force than the need to reduce CO2 emissions. If you're on the bottom trying to take care of your kids and give them a good life and give yourself a good life, do you care much about CO2 emissions? Nope. Right now, the prosperous world is trying to make fossil fuels more expensive by reducing their supply. But that doesn't create solar and wind in your country, which costs you more. Uh, that just increases the cost of fossil fuel. It doesn't give you, as a poor country, the means uh, to increase your amount of electricity. Here's a little tidbit. China, on its Belt and Road Initiative, which is having some financial problems, as is China, plans to install 700 coal plants. Those are already on the drawing board. India, I don't know the number there, but is increasing coal power plants because it's the easiest to add for a lot of engineering reasons we won't get into. Indonesia, Africa, coal power plants is where they're going. And without a huge engineering and financial commitment, that's not gonna change. And we don't have that engineering commitment. We, we're not even doing the engineering. Talk about commitment. Nobody's even doing the engineering. I therefore conclude that adaptation, adaptation is a more rational approach than prevention. We have to adapt to the consequences of higher CO2 emissions instead of being under this illusion that we can prevent CO2 from increasing.
because to prevent CO2 from increasing, look at this chart. You got to make those lines at the bottom be at the top of this graph, and the ones at the top of this graph be at the bottom. And then you've got to double it on top of that. So you've got to go to 100,000 terawatts hours of energy. Double, well, that's just for oil. So it looks like there's, if you look at the top three, there's 40, 40, 80, 130. You've got to go from 130 terawatts hours. And I think the actual number is uh, 300 terawatt hours. Anyway, you, you have to double the amount of energy production. And if you're using the current fossil fuels, that's pretty straightforward. If somehow you want to magically switch all these things on the bottom to the top, the engineering and financial commitment required to do that, I'm pretty sure the world doesn't even have that much money or engineering capabilities. I think that's... Uh, Impossible. Now, and we're not even using our market force. Like a, if you want to do a, a carbon tax and get the market involved and entrepreneurs, uh, you can probably do it faster, but you're still not going to do it faster than 50 to 100 years. It's just, it's just not going to happen because we can't do that much engineering and that much financing of these projects. It's just, it's like building a pyramid in your backyard, you know, in your lifetime. If you're by yourself, you're not going to get that done. Anyway, this, this just seems so straightforward to me that our engineering assumptions here are just like somebody's smoking dope to think that's possible. And I'd love to hear somebody's opinion that's um, done a major engineering study instead of just some politician's pipe dream. Like our current plan to have more electric vehicles. What does that have to do with anything that does not move the stuff that's on the bottom of this chart, the energy production that's over here on the bottom up to the top? It doesn't do anything. Electric vehicles don't impact CO2 production here in the least. It has nothing to do with the price of tea in China. Because here is how the power is being generated around the world. And that determines the amount of CO2. Not whether you're 
drive an electric vehicle or a gasoline-powered vehicle. You might reduce some of the oil consumption up here at the top, but that oil consumption when you don't burn the natural, when you don't burn uh, fossil fuels for your car, that energy has to be made up from coal or gas. And we don't consider nuclear because we're idiots. So how is burning less fossil fuel in your car going to change this total energy demand? You know what would make more difference than electric vehicles? If instead of using that lithium in one car, you made hybrid cars and you can make from five to 10 hybrid cars that reduce oil consumption for every pure electric vehicle. Let's say five. You make five hybrids, all of them reducing oil consumption. Petrol consumption, gasoline consumption. Instead of making one EV that just, just moves the energy requirement from, you know, one place to another. Now, where it improves efficiency, there is some drop, but you can improve the efficiency of five cars doing hybrid, or it can do one car doing total electric. Now, is that a five to one energy savings by going to hybrid? Probably not. It's probably a two factor of two or so, maybe even three, but it's, but it's a bigger impact by going to hybrid than it is to electric vehicles.